Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Our Next Guest Is. Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world and we meet the person behind the name. My name's Michael Pope and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is our next guest? Our next guest is the Managing Director and Founder of the award-winning Creative Services Consultancy for Marketing and Advertising Talent called Suits and Sneakers. Prior to this, she has spent over 30 years in a myriad of senior advertising and marketing roles, however, left every single one of these jobs due to discrimination, bias or abuse. Now, a passionate advocate for diversity and inclusion, she is determined to stop others experiencing much of the difficulties she faced. Plus, she writes books, and in fact, she even found time to create a children's book with her own kids. Probably her biggest challenge of all. Let's find out. Our next guest is Anne Miles. Welcome, Anne. Hello there. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Before we go on, I have to admit that I'm not wearing a suit or sneakers. Is it okay to talk? <laughs> yeah, you're probably a little bit in the uh, sneakers area, aren't you? A little bit of a creative person there. I, I'd hope so. I'd like to think so. If you had to choose, would you go suits or sneakers? Yeah, that's a really tough thing because I'm seriously in the middle. So <laughs> uh, I, was, I think I was started as a creative, but I'm a lot more nerdy than I originally thought I was. So I'm very much in strategy as well. Explain to the, uh, to the listeners what suits and what sneakers mean, just so there's some clarity. It's actually a little bit of a play on words. Uh, as an insult in the ad industry. So the suits are actually a nickname for the people who are account managers and strategists and the sort of serious get things done people. Um, yeah. And so they, you know, are often called, I'll give it to the suits. And it was sort of became a bit of a language. And so the sneakers for me are creative tech and production people. So I have a roster of talent and it's some of the best around the world actually. Um, who are no longer in big agencies and things like that. And especially at the, this time, I feel like the world of the really amazing freelance talent with the specialist category experience, they have to be more valuable than ever. So I'm trying to be the one place you can find all these amazing people. One of the offerings I see of Suits and Sneakers is Espresso Shop, which sounds fantastic. Explain that. Yeah, I call it Espresso Shop because it's actually normally to get a really senior strategist in the marketing industry, it's thousands and thousands of dollars and they have to write these big reports and, you know, there's a presentation with graphic designers and the whole thing. But often to make it more accessible to a smaller business, sometimes just the really quick brain dump is the most valuable thing ever. Um, and I've been doing these for a couple of years and when I know it's a smaller business, don't have a lot of money, it's like... Okay, so long as I don't have to do any reports and you can have a scribbly thing on a whiteboard and some sticky notes and photographs, whatever we can get done in an hour, then yeah. uh, you can move forward. And I've had nothing but people just so blown away by it. Fantastic. thought it was a really helpful way to get some really like big changes in your business without all the fluff. <laughs> yeah, what a great offering. Let's take you back uh, many years. Suits and Sneakers is clearly your passion now as well as presenting on stage yourself. But take us back. You spent many years in the marketing and advertising world. That's right, I did. And probably um, weirdly in every single department just about. Uh, I was very lucky or the agency was stupid. I'm not sure which really. But I started in a um, big agency um, years ago and... I was head of TB after 
a very short amount of time. So by the time I was 21, I was running $20 million worth of production every year and it was a really big responsibility. But it also meant that I was always looking for a challenge mm. and I'd been in um, management training and uh, the uh, trainer would be going, oh, my God, we've got the next CEO of the company in the room and the current CEO going, oh, who? Like really excited. And then they'd say, Anne Miles. And they go, oh, well, she's a woman. So you know, we're an automotive-led agency. That's not going to happen. Right. So I'd go, well, I'm out of here. <laughs> so I kept so moving. On that note, and I noted that um, that happened um, virtually, well, you, you indicated that happened virtually in all of your roles over your time working at um, big ad agencies and marketing consultancy firms. So how did that uh, translate then into where you're at now? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of the time over the years, I'll be honest, I actually didn't um, think that I had any power to change it. Mm. And so I just went, oh, okay, that's how it is. And then I just thought, well, I'll just move and get a stretch, intellectual stretch and just get out of here. I had some pretty bad things happen as well. Like, you know, I've had um, sexual abuse and, you know, people throwing things at me and, like, the creative director pushing me over and sitting on me in the hallway, like really crazy stuff you'd hardly imagine. But, yeah, so it got sort of crazy. And then um, so I went from I've been in a film company um, just about every film production role I started and then uh, I went and retrained. I could see also age was an issue coming in our industry as well. As soon as you turn 40, you know, you're seen to be like out of date or something mm. and I feel like that's just madness. I'm over 50 now but I'm like totally at the top of my game uh, and, you know, there's scientific proof that says people are more creative at this age, particularly women. Can I jump in? From what you're saying... Uh a different person, if they've received the knocks that you have in these various roles and, and uh, organisations you've been with, could retreat and give up and yeah. hide in the corner. What is it you think about you that has not only got you the next job, but also now making a living from trying to make change in workplace? I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, and I definitely have had moments where I've thought about packing it all in, but I feel that to me to waste all that knowledge that I've got was just I just could and I love what I'm doing you know this is a really great work to do and the clients are fantastic so I just thought we just had to have a way I don't know maybe it's just being stubborn I think also for me I got really fired up the moment that I realized that it wasn't just me and that yeah. there were a whole lot of other people and one particular instance really fired me up there were five really senior creatives that had been retrenched from a big ad agency and um, I'm sitting at my desk and I just went, oh, right, that's it. And I even said it out loud at my desk. I was really furious. And I thought, that's it. I'm doing something about this. So that's when I went, I'm going to be the place where all those really good people can be found and we'll just do something different. So Suits and Sneakers evolves. How do you then go out and sell that to the marketplace? So how did you actually create, turn that into a business? Yeah, I, look, I don't feel like I've had any favours from anybody. And, you know, a lot of the industry works on mateship, um, actually. So I was one of these people just quietly got on doing stuff in the background. So it's actually been quite a challenge. So funny enough, um, LinkedIn actually is, I've become a bit of a guru in uh, LinkedIn by accident um, because I built the entire thing from there. And um, Sorry, you built LinkedIn? 
I built the business through LinkedIn. Oh, right, right. So I used it to because I had to work out how to uh, get the business going without any capital and, you know, the whole thing. It was quite a challenge. But So there's a, there's a keynote in that, just how to start yeah. such a successful business from nothing. Uh, can I tell you about you? You mentioned in your own experience you've been a victim of ageism and sexism and mm. I'm sure various other isms. How prevalent do you think that is now? And particularly with the Me Too movement now a couple of years old, do you see good times ahead or do you see such an entrenched mindset, mainly from men, let's admit, that it is a, a war that is still in its infant stages? It is a really fantastic question, actually, and it's a big foundation of what I speak about and what I care about because, you know, I'm all for women's rights as much as the next person and there's no doubt the data says, you know, this is men are perpetrating, women are being harmed, women are being killed. At the same time, I'm also pretty aware that there are a certain number of men who are actually being hurt too. And I think also there's a lot to be said for the feminism uh, movement. I think they're actually doing more harm than good. Sorry, sisters. So I feel like I'm having more impact by being more inclusive and particularly with men are actually engaging and want to hear what I have to say and I feel like I'm having more impact in the whole gender neutrality, gender respect and uh, each gender having their own place. I feel like I'm having more, um, yeah, more impact. So what are the things that you're specifically doing that you feel are having a, an impact as opposed to what the traditional feminist movement's done? I think the number one thing for me is that it's, I feel there's some practical, like how do you actually change this? And how do you even know it happens and how are you actually going to change the way you behave and change the workflow? I think a lot of people just do awareness and complain and talk about it and they think that that's enough. If you put behavioural economics over this, people don't know what to do so they do nothing. And a lot mm. of people who are on the fence and could actually be a really good supporter of women's movement or any people's movement... Uh, they sit on the fence because they're too afraid to talk because someone's going to, like, beat them down. So I guess for me it's about, especially in the marketing chain, like what are the strategic things you need to do differently in order for the whole framework to shift and how do you change the creative process and, you know, how do you change the distribution and, you know, media channels to make this whole thing work? Um, yeah. I think it's definitely the ingrained thinking around, you know, how we even consider our customers and that demographic profiling that everyone's so, like, habitual at doing. Mm. I think that's a really big foundation shift here too. We've very quickly got to know um, who the Anne Miles is. Now let's take that woman to the stage. What was it and when was it in your life that you started thinking, I have had some experiences that I'd like to share? Yeah, good question because honestly um, I did as a business coach do some training and speaking training and I'll be honest I nearly failed because I was <laughs> terrible and it was because I was uh, not doing enough of the hypnotic suggestions and not enough of the gesture hand movement and the placata and all these you know robotic things I just couldn't be. Right. And I think when I got permission somewhere along the line just to be myself, I just went, well, I've got to do it. I've, and I think mostly it came about because I just felt that nobody else was doing it. 
and no one was like communicating this message. So I felt like I just had to get over myself. <laughs> What's the most popular theme do you think that you get asked to speak on the most? That's a, a super good question because I'm actually a conscious capitalist as well. That's the foundation of how I operate. Um, so I reckon if I could put it down to a few, it's like the gender neutral thing is just going off actually and particularly with men. I'd say of all things, that's the story that's really flying. Um, so I'm quite happy about that. And also I feel like, it helps clients because you've only got one budget, so you want to include everyone. And do you think that has wide appeal to all audiences, whether it's corporate, government, association? I mean, it, it is a topic that is very relevant to anyone working in a business environment. Yeah. Look, I then do um, training programs for other ad agencies and anybody, really. And even the um, finance department are turning up to my trainings and getting something out of it, which I didn't expect. But... You know, the world is becoming a different place and truthfully one of the other motivations for me I haven't talked about yet is I have a transgender child as well. Mm -hmm. So the world is not binary anymore. You know, mm -hmm. there's not just men and not just women and some of them are crossing and there's a fluid line and some days you're here and some days you're there and, you know, it's just a much more um, inclusive world. Well, if there's any family that a transgendered child would want to be uh, a part of, it would be you, yours. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I feel really lucky that um, I've got such a lovely relationship with my son, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Back to you on stage. Was there a gig or two that uh, really stands out in your mind, uh, I, for good or bad reasons? And, and what year was it that you started uh, presenting from the stage? Yeah, probably the um, most pivotal, most pivotal, I think, was um, actually for a oh, it's General Assembly, if you know, it was just a, um, an adult education company for mm. um, creative topics. And so they invited me along and I was, it was only a small room, I think about, I don't know, 60, 80 people or something. And um, I was just in a bit of a mood and I thought I'll just be myself. And I just, the crowd were laughing. And, I, and the first time they laughed, I went, Oh, isn't that funny? They thought that was funny. And then after um, they laughed, it was like I thought it was this one off. And yeah. then I spoke again and then they laughed again. And I went, oh, my God, they, like, they actually think I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> you had an insight into what comedy is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just, yeah, be the nerdy, silly self. Just while we're talking about your style, you describe your style as very real, passionate, personal, at times a little humble, a little humble and also self-deprecating. What do you mean by that? And slightly silly actually added in the back there. Yeah. Every now and then I could just speak in the voice of someone else, you know. It's like when you talk to your pets, you know, they have a voice. So sometimes when I'm uh, presenting, because I use a lot of case studies and um, creative advertising campaigns and give feedback about, you know, uh, what you might be looking at. But sometimes I'll even project a voice based on who's in the image. So, for example, I did one and it had um, a, uh, it looked like a husband and wife in a banking ad and yep. the guy was on the computer and the girl was leaning over his shoulder looking over at him and I, and I just made fun of that. Like, oh, aren't you clever, my lovely, you know, wonderful husband. And, you know, the, I'm such, you know, I'm the bimbo at the back without any ability to make financial decisions on my own. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. Can I just pick you up on that? I've, my family have noticed over the years that if there's a bimbo in a, an ad or a situation, it's the man. I agree, actually. Yeah, that's a trend that you've picked up? Yeah. 
I call that actually diversity oversteer. So I think it's, a, it's an actual really big problem at the moment where we're trying so hard to fix something for one gender, we're overcompensating and we're belittling men out of it a lot too. Mm. And even, um, you know, there are things that you read as a quote up on social media, yeah, go girls, but if you actually flipped it out and said it about men, it would be outrageous. Mm. So there's definitely a problem and it equally goes to, um, you know, stereotypes of like men are not, considered part of the parenting discussion mm. and uh, that's also harming women in the long term too because you, we're not allowing men in the home as a parent, you know. Do you not feel though that the pendulum really does need to swing perhaps too far to one side to, to recorrect the imbalance that's been there for so long? It is challenging because, you know, there's still clearly numbers that say, you know, women are um, being uh, disrespected and not considered where they need to be at the same time I feel also genuinely we're not measuring some things with men so we don't actually know the true impact of what is happening in the man's world like it's not even in our language to consider that a man is verbally or physically abused by his partner or wife um, and that actually really happens and I'm also one of these people that says like if there's one man sitting next to me and he has been through abuse then why am I more important than him just because I've got six sisters standing behind me mm -hmm. so I feel like if we were actually just more respectful of each other and realize that everybody's place in abuse was equally as important then we can work together to come to a solution rather than thinking it's one at the other expense of another Great message, very clearly. And clearly that's the kind of messages that you, you sing, you know, from the pulpit. We're heading towards the end of our chat together and I just want to take you back to uh, the experience of you at a conference or a meeting or so forth. What, what can your audience expect to take away? Do, do you give more than just speaking from the stage or what? Yeah, and I guess there's a few different things. So currently I do do a training program um, and so that's available. That's broad unconscious bias everything and there's seven main topics that I discuss and gender is one of them. Um, that's the one that's seriously like breaking new ground and I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a topic a lot of people don't even know about or even consider. General kind of just remember the race and cultural things and how to pick up on that. I also talk about urban and rural um, bias as well because a lot of the ad industry is very urban and you know, inner urban and well off and, you know, there's a certain cultural misunderstanding. They don't understand what the rural community looks like. Then also um, socioeconomics. That's a real issue in our world and even when you look at the average numbers, if you actually do the nerdy thing like I might do, you actually realise people earn less than what the average number is as well. So we're not like truly representing the real audience out there in the market as well because we're just not understanding that and age and stage but I also talk about um, neurodiversity as well so that's not just ability and covering people um, with psychosocial disability or anything like that but also personalities you know there's four distinct groups of personality if you take the Jung theory and all the divisions you know since yeah. that you know, there's a way that we can capture all of those in our communication as well. 
Well, so, and, and you cover all of that in 15 minutes. That is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So there's a 12-month program I've, I actually have, but also wow. at the same time there are small little workshops. Small Modules, little, yes, yes. Modules. And so then there's a speaking version of those and then there's some um, checklists and assets. I'm also building a white paper that's everything end-to-end -end as well. Yeah. So there's a lot in that and, there's, and if we had a lot more time, we'd unpack a lot of that, but we yeah. don't. And, no. um, and for someone who comes from an industry where the elevator pitch is, uh, has been a core part of uh, advertising, mm. what would be your elevator pitch that summarises all of that for the, for the listening audience? I think the number one thing that I'm really fighting against is negative stereotyping. So that's what this is all about and the unconscious bias that, you know, creates that and the process behind it. And I'm also, you know, I'm trying to be actively involved in changing industry policy and things like that. So that stereotype thing for me is the ultimate problem and that is also for me the reason why you know, I would have had domestic violence at home and why other men are feeling that they can't be a parent and, you know, all those other things. So everything to me in a nutshell is about how to get stereotypes out of the whole thing. Okay. Well, the elevator has stopped at the penthouse suite <laughs> and Carson and I have to get off at this point. Thank you so much for sharing your story. A lot of speakers, I was thinking, get to the stage and talk about their great successes and, that, and that's fantastic <laughs> for them. You come at it from a different aspect. You've had some knocks in your life. You have been subjected to various discriminations and you've turned those negatives into a positive personally, but also so willing and able, uh, so articulate to uh, share that message to the rest of us. And also drawing on your own family experiences is wonderfully vulnerable and, and so rich um, an offering as well. So all the power to you, Anne, and I look forward to the chance of seeing you take flight on stage. Thanks so much. Really good of you to have me today. Thank you. Thanks, Anne. And if you want to find out more about our miles or to book it for your next uh, conference or event, please go to www.suitsandsneakers.global for more information. You've been listening to Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope, with our next guest is... More guests can be found through iTunes or just visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.